Odell Beckham Jr. has landed in the NFC West, just not where many expected. Meanwhile, the Seahawks find themselves back in the playoff mix despite taking the week off and look to begin a postseason push against the Packers on Sunday. Jackson and Mike discuss what this means for the team now and looking forward. Let's light them up. I'm Jackson Bevins, and this is Cigar Thoughts. Welcome back to the Cigar Lounge. I am Jackson Bevins, and along with producer Mike Barwin, this is the Cigar Thoughts Podcast. Mike, how are we doing today? We are sensational, Jackson. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great, man. I'm feeling refreshed. A week off from being tormented by the Seahawks actually reminded me that there's a life to be lived on Sunday. And we actually had Nate Tice on earlier. He was incredible uh, to talk about a lot of this stuff, but sadly we have lost the audio to that. So we're going to have Nate back on another time real soon. Another week, another absolute casserole of carnage across the NFL. I know we say this a lot with this league, and much of it is by design, but I think this might be the weirdest season I can remember. Whether it's the Jaguars beating the Bills, the Broncos stomping the Cowboys, or the Titans rebounding from a loss to the Jets to beat the Chiefs, Ravens, and Rams all in a row, it's almost like you can't assume anything. And Seattle had a front row seat to the mayhem this week. They set out their bye at 3-5, and five, and for as hopeless as things seemed two weeks ago, the Hawks now find themselves just one game behind the Atlanta Falcons for the playoff seed. Can you believe that? It really feels like they're just going to bumble their way into the playoffs again, you know? <laughs> you like know it, they're going to. It was, I mean, right after the uh, the Saints game, that was the lowest of lows imaginable, right? And uh, it very much felt hopeless in that moment. So that, of course, prompted me to tweet something out that, like, of course, Russell Wilson's going to come back now and they're going to go, like, super atomic and make the playoffs. And that's what they're maybe going to do. It's it's in play. They're a game out. It's, it's just crazy. They're three and five. And I think all of us thought the NFC was going to be the dominant conference again uh, in terms of just, like, the depth of the teams that are actual competitors. But it's really flipped this year. And the AFC seems much stronger the nfc is wide wide open after like the top three teams yeah it just feels like um if if you're someone that has followed the seahawks closely for a while it feels like uh the jesse pinkman he can't keep getting away with it sort of thing you know (laughs) where the seahawks are just gonna do everything wrong and somehow luck their way back into contention i wouldn't say it's entirely luck i i think that um there is a little bit of adjustment going on behind the scenes. I think that they have adapted um, in yep. a way that we would have liked to see them adapt uh, since Russell Wilson has been out. But uh, yeah, there's been, there's been, they've had their fair share of uncouth moments this season. Yeah, no, no question. Also, don't know if you heard, Odell Beckham Jr. found a new home and it's a little closer to Seattle than many of us would have liked. What were your initial thoughts when you first heard that OBJ had signed with the Rams? Well, I want to I want to give you my my thoughts before uh, the signing as well. So I just like to say that um, beforehand, this was my thought process. If Seattle had signed him, OBJ would be an omnipotent boon to my joy. Since the Rams signed him, he's OBJ on the bench in January. Oh. But it's all right because today uh-huh. I'm kicking it with the most important OBJ of all. Our boy Jackson. I was completely unprepared for dealing with that. That's so good. 
Yeah, you know, uh, it's it's one of those things where I, I was pretty open about wanting Odell in Seattle, but it's not a situation where I'm heartbroken that he didn't. I, I am bummed that he went to the Rams. And, you know, I don't see Odell necessarily as a huge elevator of a team's performance in the near term. You know, I, he's been recovering from a series of injuries. He's, he's clearly playing through a busted shoulder right now, but he's dangerous enough to really open things up. And, and the two reasons that I really wanted him, there's three, there's three. One is that he's fun. He is a fun player. He makes your team more interesting. Uh, and, and I think there's a lot to be said for this. You know, it's so easy to take being a football fan too seriously and ultimately, at least for me, and I think most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, what draws us to football and cheering for a team is that it's fun and that we're entertained by it. And, and I think Odell increases that for whichever team that he plays for. But I think strategically, there's a couple of things that it does for you. If, and, and for Seattle specifically, had he come here, one on the field and one off. And the one on the field is, you know, the 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 main argument I heard against bringing OBJ to Seattle was, well, you already have DK Metcalf. You already have Tyler Lockett. Wide receiver is a strength. We have other needs. Why would you go and bring in another wide receiver? And I think I there's hate that a number argument, of, man. God, I do too. I hate that argument. I do too. I think that there's a number of reasons. One is it's not like there are any other potentially great players available as free agents at the positions that you want. Cornerback, interior line, edge rusher. They're not out there. So that doesn't really matter. Uh, I think also, like, if you want your boat to go faster, you put more wind in your main sail. And the passing game is Seattle's main sail. And right now, their best weapon is DK Metcalf. And teams are covering him with one and a half guys. They're covering him with a corner, and then they're cheating a safety his way. Because right now, there's not really a third scary option in the passing game. You add a guy like Odell, all of a sudden, it's a lot scarier to cheat towards DK Metcalf. I think that opens things up for him a lot, too. And then off the field, I think that there's a messaging aspect to this. And I think that the most important communication for this franchise right now is what the team is communicating to Russell Wilson. And Wilson made no mistake that he wanted OBJ. He was calling him. He was recruiting him. He wanted this guy. And to have brought him in would have been, I think that would have been him saying like, hey, all right, you've seen other quarterbacks go out and get their guys. This is us getting you your guy. Yeah. I mean, this, you saw Russ publicly vying for the team to sign Antonio Brown this would have been that, except you don't have to feel disgusting about it, you know? Right. Yes. You do what it takes to satisfy your Hall of Fame quarterback, and I, I know we're going to talk about this more later on. But, yeah, it would have been nice to have him. Um, the way <laughs> – maybe this is just a coping mechanism, but the way that I'm choosing to look at it is, uh, yes, I mean, the Rams are – I mean, you see monsters being thrown around. We, I mean, we've seen teams like this before, you know? Like, we've seen teams in the NFC West like this, like the Cardinals. The Cardinals have done, like, this exact thing throughout the offseason, be it with a bunch of geriatrics, but the game is the game. So uh, I really appreciate 
the capacity for teams in this division to load up really aggressively because winning a Super Bowl is very, very difficult. And in the chance that they do not win the Super Bowl, which is high, I mean, they definitely have better odds than the Seahawks, but (laughs) I mean, the Rams have a history of being a very good football team and then just shitting themselves. Totally. Just every once in a while, you know? I mean, you look at them just beating the brakes off of the Bucks and then having the Cardinals do the same to them like a week or two later. It's it's just one of those things where it's like it's almost like we need some team to win every game by 20 or more points in order for us to say, "Oh yeah, they're a great team." Like it's the fucking NFL. Teams are gonna lose. Last year, the Chiefs dog walked everybody. And in the playoffs, they went on some crazy like 80 to 10 scoring run against the best teams the AFC had to offer. And then they got mopped in the Super Bowl. The 49ers did the same thing the year before that. The Rams did the same thing the year before that. I mean, it just to win a Super Bowl is really, really hard. And it's not necessarily the most talented team. Injuries happen. And game planning happens and scheme adjustments happen and weather happens. And there's there's all these things like you can be a great team and not winning the Super Bowl doesn't mean you weren't a great team. I mean, the greatest team of my lifetime lost a Super Bowl to the Giants, the 18-0 New England Patriots. So you're right, man. Winning a Super Bowl is really, really hard. And all you can do as a team is give yourself the most – opportunities possible to make that happen and the Rams are doing it the funniest part about all this is there's still a decent chance that they're going to end up a wild card team I know like I would say probably a better than 50 percent chance and and the and the question the question I have for you is I mean I mean obviously having better players is better than having worse players but how much does adding another receiver to that Rams offense I mean, it just it adds reliability, right? Because you have three guys there already that you can run a very good offense through in Cup, Woods, and Jefferson. So, I mean, they were not to mention Higby. Higby is is a very good player, even if uh, he leaves a lot to be desired as a human being. Um, sure. The but I mean, the Seahawks were getting absolutely demolished by deep crossers from Josh Reynolds over the past couple <laughs> of years. So like, yeah. it it is what it is. And I mean, as you saw the the betting odds, it moved the Rams Super Bowl chances. They were plus eight hundred to win the Super Bowl, and they're still plus eight hundred to win the Super Bowl. So, I mean, Odell is good. Do I wish he was a Seahawk? Sure. You know, he's a good player. He's an exciting player. He is like he gives that showtime element to teams, you know, like and that right. that makes sense why he would want to go to L.A., go to that big brand new stadium with all these stars like it. It tracks. It, it makes sense to go back to what we were talking about a little bit ago. Do you think there are any Rams fans that are like, oh, man, I can't believe we got Odell. We already have cup in woods. Why would we go get Odell? Like, no way, man. They're dancing in the streets right now. Uh, I think that there probably are. <laughs> I mean, if you get yeah, a big enough group of people, some. there's bound to sure. be a few curmudgeons in there. But, yeah, I mean, that sort of signing, like, how could you not be at least a little bit stoked? So here's the thing. Uh, this is something that um, Mike Garofalo said on KJR a little earlier today, that I think if you're a Seahawks fan that is upset with the team for not getting Odell, I think this is some good context. And what Mike Garofalo, who's really dialed in, says is the word from other teams in the league is that Seattle offered Odell Beckham Jr. a contract with the most concrete details. Uh, And Mike's opinion was that OBJ's hesitancy could be the offensive system. 
Now, Diana Rossini, also very plugged in, said that after the signing happened, uh, a Rams source mentioned that they came in a bit late, but we gave them the best shot. Sold on a great quarterback, 65% pass, single coverage. And it's like, yeah, also 7-2. and two. Like, it does sound like Seattle made a good run and may have even offered him the best contract. Yeah, and it makes sense that the way that Seattle was going to get him would be claiming him on waivers because a 3-5 and five team with limited playoff hopes, why would you choose that over teams that also have borderline to fully elite quarterbacks and very good records? And I don't fault Seattle for not wanting to pay him nearly a million dollars a game moving forward. Also, you know, there's there's going to be which if they had if they had claimed him, they would have needed to pay him seven million and change for the final nine games. So, like I get, it. I don't really fault the team for not getting him. It would have been awesome if Odell was like, "Yep, I would love to be in Seattle. Let's make it happen." Um, and that always seemed like a bit of a long shot, but uh, <laughs> just not the Rams, man. <laughs> no, I mean, like I said, this just uh, this adds fuel to the fuel to the memeing fire if and when they eventually collapse right right there's going to be a there's going to be a lot of grave dancing in the pacific northwest if that happens but i mean look if you just removed the uniforms and the logos and you offered seahawks fans seattle's roster or the rams roster I mean, I think I think we all know which one which one we're choosing. So, hat tip to the Rams, to Les Snead and Sean McVay for going out and just putting a bunch of dynamic players in one place. And and we'll see if it ends up working out. Maybe maybe it blows up. Maybe the locker room concerns with that many big contracts and big egos, um, you know, eats it from the inside. But uh, they are looking really really good. And and I think the Rams were the number two favorite to win the Super Bowl before that. Like you said, the odds haven't moved, but I'm guessing they're going to over the next day or two as we see some money come in. But the Seahawks are not dead. They might not even be mostly dead. And in fact, they are coming back to life a bit this week. They've got the Packers. They are playing the king of the free thinkers, Aaron Rodgers, and his squad in Lambeau. And they are getting a few guys back, most notably the quarterback, Russell Wilson. They're also getting D. Eskridge back, which is really nice, I think. You know, especially not getting Odell. This is the one guy on the roster that I think adds the biggest threat of being a legit number three option in the passing game. And then also potentially... What is their most dynamic running back, Chris Carson? I'd just like to say, you know, we we didn't touch on this last week. I mean, it is phenomenal that the Seahawks are getting these guys back from injury. But you call Chris Carson the most dynamic uh, running back on Seattle's roster. We didn't mention Travis Homer after his (laughs) sensational kick return touchdown in the Jaguars (laughs) game. And I would just like to say, Jackson... Can we please sound the siren? He has been Seattle's most game-breaking running back of the season. Travis Homer is a living, breathing, explosive play. You've never seen someone execute a draw on third and long like this in your damn life. Now, okay, let me set the scene for you. <laughs> okay, All right, we're this doing is my this. sales pitch. We're doing this. This is, this is my sales pitch. Uh-huh. Are you just outside the fringes of field goal range? Perhaps. But fear not, <laughs> weary traveler. <laughs> because Travis fucking Homer is rootin' tootin' ready to get you your three Jason Myers notwithstanding, of course. <laughs> hey, man, I tell you what, the way that he got 12 yards on a third and 19, it, it makes you think. 
it makes you think about who should be leading this running back room. The moral of the story is, yes, it is good the Seahawks are hopefully getting Chris Carson back soon. Yeah, and let's let's start there. Uh, he's been cleared to practice, and it sounds like from Pete Carroll that all range of outcomes are still in play. But there is a good shot that he plays in some capacity this Sunday. And for as much as I subscribe to the a lot of running backs are more or less replaceable theory. Um, I've, I've come back to center a little bit on that, and I do think that we've seen over the last month that it's really true with Seattle. Now, some of it is, okay, teams probably aren't as worried about the pass with Geno in there. But even before that, when Chris Carson wasn't on the field, the Seahawks running game just lacks the juice that he brings. And I'm really scared that it's a neck injury he's coming back from. But if he is healthy and if the doctors have cleared him, he makes Seattle better. He has been nothing but a pleasure to watch. You know, he is he exudes uh, the brand of running, rushing that this fan base has been accustomed to over the last decade. You know, you had Marshawn Lynch. You're spoiled watching one of the greats. And then um, as quickly as he flamed out, Thomas Rawls was awesome, too. And they both embodied that. Uh, never, never step out of bounds attitude, always lower a shoulder and truck that motherfucker. Yes. Yes. Chris Carson has that. And you, like you said, he has the juice. And um, we're all aware that running backs don't matter. But uh, I think that this team sorely misses Chris Carson. Oh, there's no, there's no question. I mean, you can just hear it in Carol's voice when he's talking about Chris Carson. I mean, he loves the guy. And he wants him in there so badly. So, you know, I think it's going to give some energy to this offense that it's been missing. And then, of course, obviously getting Russell Wilson back as well. And we'll talk more about that in a second. But my concern is that <laughs> in some way, and maybe you have maybe concerns this about this team. I, <laughs> one of my concerns the myriad of concerns with this team uh in some twisted way you almost get the sense that pete carroll is more excited about chris carson coming back than any other player and and i'm hoping that you know this is still a look we're gonna win because of russell wilson approach i love russell wilson as much as anybody but pete's got to be excited his franchise players coming back oh my god Oh, my God. But you know what? He's also getting D. Eskridge back. And I think D. Eskridge is – he's someone that we haven't had a chance to get really excited about. Um, a lot of us were kind of scratching our heads. I actually – you know, I I actually paid attention to the rookie class this year uh, a little bit more than I have in the past. And D. Eskridge is a guy that I actually really liked. I don't know that I loved him there – um, especially with Creed Humphrey still on the board. But he's someone that kind of flew under the radar. A lot of people were scratching their heads when he got drafted. And then we didn't really get a chance to see much of him in the offseason because he had a foot injury. And then he looked really, really good in limited touches until he got the concussion. But he's a player that I think more than anything signals to us what Seattle is trying to do on offense with the shift from Brian Schottenheimer to Shane Waldron, because there's a lot of misdirection and motion and jet sweeps to the Waldron offense, but without Eskridge, they don't really have a threat. Like they've been running their jet sweeps to their tight ends lately. You know, uh, they're, they're You're missing not into that. You're something. not into that schematic I love Gerald innovation. Everett. I'm, 
<laughs> well, I'm, you know, Gerald Everett is, as Pete said, a fancy tight end. I, I think he's kind of a hybrid tight end wide receiver, but he's not D. Eskridge. I mean, if you're an NFL wide receiver, you're fast. That's just a given. But D. Eskridge is like fast, fast, even by NFL wide receiver standards. And on plays like that, on bubble screens, on jet sweeps, on quick slants, it is all about quick twitch speed. And and Eskridge has that as much as anybody. So um, I'm hoping this opens up the offense a bit. Yeah, I mean, you got to hope so. With Russ coming back, you're obviously going to see a bit of a boost there, <laughs> a bit of, quite a boost there. Um, but yeah, I mean, we talked about this with Joe Fan, right? Adding that multiplicity to your offense like the diversity of having all of these different weapons who pose a threat to the defense that you can't just key in on one guy. You can't just bracket DK and coverage and then just hope that Tyler Lockett doesn't beat you. If you have three to four to five to six guys, you're going to be a better, more well-positioned offense to succeed. And uh, I mean, Eskridge is an unknown. Don't really know if he has what it takes yet. You know, you haven't really seen him. You've seen him in the preseason. You saw him take a couple of sweeps and a, a hitch in week one and then uh, concussion. So you got to just hope that he adds an extra dimension to the offense, because as you said, it's the strength of the team and they need everybody that they can get. Yeah. Yeah, they absolutely do. And, you know, we've talked about it a lot on this show. I've written about it a lot. I think the best thing you can do philosophically on offense is make the defense guess, you know, um, you need to, you need to make it hard for them to anticipate what you're doing. And that's kind of been the antithesis of Pete's approach. Pete's approach has been, let's line up and out execute the guys on the other side of the ball. And that's great. If you are just objectively more talented, but it's hard to be that in the NFL and Seattle is that at a few positions, but not at enough to just say, yeah, okay, you're going to have a pretty good idea of what's coming. We're going to beat you anyway. It's, it's not good process in my mind. And that's why I was so excited about bringing Waldron in is because there is a dynamic element now that's missing, at least in theory, but you need players who can unlock the things that they want to do in this offense. And I think Eskridge is a big part of that. Um, but no one's a bigger part of that than Russell Wilson and Mike, what are your feelings? We, do you see the letter from the doctor, uh, the surgeon about Russell Wilson? I gotta, I gotta find this. It was the most over the top. Like this is the greatest recovery I've ever seen. Never in my whole career. Have I seen someone so dedicated to healing? I have no doubts that he will be as good as he ever was, if not better, like just over the top. The greatest, I mean, you can, most efficient healing of all time. It, it uh, totally, totally. It was like, <laughs> It's like hearing the old president talk about his doctor's visit. It was just like so crazy. Uh, so that being said, I mean, he had a ruptured tendon in the middle finger of his throwing hand. Are we going to get Russell Wilson back right away? Like, is that is that a realistic hope that he's going to go out there and, and, hey, we're back to normal? Or do we need to prepare ourselves for a couple, maybe three weeks of – just getting through it. Well, Jackson, as a fully fledged uh, licensed medical professional, let me tell you That's how why I asked. That's why I asked. <laughs> I mean, I have no clue, right? Nobody does. Yeah. It's Russell Wilson and his clearly reliable doctor um, <laughs> telling us uh, telling us what we want to hear. So it remains to be seen. Um, I do think that Russ would 
uh, Vi to play even if he wasn't quite ready. But That's my thought, yeah. I, I really don't know. Um, what I do know is that Russell Wilson at 80% is still much better than Geno Smith. And that's not to discredit Gino for what he's done. I think that he has done a lot with what he's been dealt. Um, but yeah, Russ is Russ is a different breed, man. He is, and and he is Seattle's best hope. We've known that for a long time. And I I hope, as I always have, that Pete Carroll and Shane Waldron are willing to lean into him as much as as he's able to be leaned into. They have right to, now. they, the margin for error is so thin. I mean, the other teams Dude, it's in crazy. the NFC are really trying to help him out, but yeah, I mean, things, things pretty much broke their way as much as they could have, um, during the bye week, a lot of teams that Seattle was just barely trailing lost on Sunday. And, and that's great. Like we, we love that, but they're not getting in at eight and nine. So they're going to have to go nine and eight. That means going six and three the rest of the way. And they play some dogs for sure. I mean, there's like five games against bad teams left. So that's awesome. Let's say they run the table. And that's asking a lot. I, I don't necessarily think they're going to run the table. Like I said, we just saw the Jaguars beat the Bills. But they got to go five and oh on that. And then just to get to nine and eight, they got to win one of their games against the Packers two against the Cardinals and the Rams. That is a tall order, man. I mean, yeah, they're they're all good teams, but the Seahawks can be a good team. You know, they yep. have the capability. They're not right now. They haven't been this season, but who knows? You know, the defense is showing improvement. Uh, the offense, as I said, will clearly have a boost with Russ. Uh, if, if they play up to their potential, then they will be a good team. If they don't, which they haven't so far, then... They're not going to make the playoffs. It's as simple as that, you know? Well, the thing I think I'm most excited for is finally getting to see a Russell Wilson offense combined with a good Seahawks defense. Because when Wilson was healthy, he was killing it. I mean, he was the top-rated passer in the NFL. I know that they had some lulls, but... Again, we have outsized expectations. You're not a bad offense if you have a scoreless quarter once in a while, especially if you're having 14, 17-point quarters elsewhere in those games. The offense is really rolling, but the defense was so bad. And now the defense has been great, but Russ has been out. So for the first time all year, since maybe the Colts game, we are presumably going to see the good version of the Seahawks defense with Russ at the same time. And that gives me hope that maybe they can go six and three. Good defenses oftentimes are not good defenses anymore when they're playing Hall of Fame quarterbacks in very good offenses. So that sure remains to be seen. And I think that we should take what we see on Sunday against the Packers if Rodgers plays with a grain of salt. But yeah, I mean, if you. The first half of the Rams game is a great example, right? I mean, they came out much better than anybody could have possibly dreamt, right? What did they hold the Rams to three points in the first half? Then you saw the Fishers forming in the second half, and then all hell broke loose. Um, It it was pretty discouraging, I'm sure, seeing your quarterback go down with an injury like that. But uh, if they can slow a Packers offense at almost full strength, then you have to be nothing but encouraged. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And... I fully believe this team can score 27 points against the Packers this week. They're missing Alexander. And they're missing Zadarius Smith. Kenny Clark is a little banged up. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, and, and it's not a certainty that 
Aaron Rodgers is going to play yet, but it's it's looking like all signs are pointing that way. I haven't seen what the weather looks like in Green Bay for this Sunday. Have have you taken a peek at that? Because that is something I'm going to look it up right now because that is something that gets overlooked and and almost because maybe it doesn't feel like it's a, a strategic aspect to be discussed. But I think that anytime you're playing in a place like Green Bay, the weather is going to matter a lot. And I think it's in Seattle's best interest for the weather to be good. And and that's interesting because I think Seattle in the past is built to win in gnarly conditions. But I, I think they need a clean track right now. As of now, according to uh, Apple's weather app, we have a high of 37, a low of 25, and 40% chance of snow, baby. Okay. So, all right, prediction, Mike, you have to bet $100 on the exact score, but you win 10 grand if you get it right. What score are you choosing? Uh okay, are we are we, what percentage of peak Russell Wilson are we assuming that 90%. 90%? I'm going to say 27-21 Packers. Okay. I like it. Uh it's a Seahawks game. So I'm going to go 29-25 <laughs> Packers. We're getting a score gummy. I don't know how they're going to do it. A couple of safeties. Uh, no, re- realistically, I think I think we are looking at a 30-24 type of game, 30-27 to 27 maybe. Um, but, yeah, I think, I think we're both seeing a one-score Packers win here. But the thing is, the thing is, the fact that the NFC has been similarly incompetent to the Seahawks leaves yep. them more of a margin for error than we thought they had. It's still very thin, but they can afford to lose this game. It doesn't come crashing down if they lose this game like it felt like after they lost to the Saints. Yeah, yeah. God, isn't that crazy what a win against the Jaguars will do to you? I mean, this is the thing I always try to remind myself, especially when writing the article, is like at some point, you know, I want to be able to look back on what I'm saying or what I'm writing and not be like, oh my God, what a prisoner of the moment you were. But it is amazing when you only play 17 games, each outcome has this outsized impact on your view of the team. And and I'm I'm holding to the belief that you're right, Mike, that if they lose this game, as long as they look good, it doesn't necessarily mean curtains for them. Uh, I also don't think it's that far-fetched that they win this one. I, I would give them a 30% chance of winning this game. And, you know, I, I think when you're playing one of the best teams in the NFL on the road, that's you kind of got to take that. 30% chance against the Packers in Lambeau with Aaron Rodgers. You got to take that, and that's why you got to throw every dart that you've got at the board. You know, like we're at the we're yes. at the point in the season where you pull out all the stops, right? Against the good teams, you make sure that everything that you've got in your little bag of tricks, get after it because now is the time to unleash it. That's exact. That's exactly it, man. They they gotta coach this game like their season is on the line. Um, there's there's no more just holding back and, hey, we want to close the circle of toughness and do all of that shit. If you're running the ball well and you're getting chunk gains, you're getting four, six, seven-yard rushes, God bless, let's do that. My thing when I say Seattle should pass more isn't because I necessarily think that passing is objectively better than running. It's you should do the thing that you're best at. And Seattle has proven over the last number of years they are much more effective when they're passing the ball than they are when they're running the ball. So I hope we see them open the bag this week. I'm sure that'll happen in uh, freezing, snowy weather. Mm -hmm. I know. 
I know. But here's the thing. I actually think that snowy weather helps a receiver more than a defensive back because a receiver knows when he's making his cuts and, and he can, he can strategize for that when he's running a route, a defender is reacting. And, and I think that as long as it's not like soupy, uh, you know, having it be a little slick may actually help the passing game a little bit because um, unless unless the ball's really, really wet, I think Russell Wilson's going to be fine just, you know, just fine throwing it. As long as not one drop of water touches his hand, <laughs> right. all shall That's be well. Funniest thing. I know, I know. Oh, man. Well, speaking of Russ, this is clearly the uh, crossroads season of his career so far. You, you've heard me and the guests talk about this all season, but what are your thoughts with him, with him and Pete, with him and John Schneider, with his relationship to the city of Seattle and his future here? So, as I said earlier, right, you do, you do what it takes to retain your Hall of Fame quarterback. It is as simple as that. I think so. Um, I, I think that I am, uh, I am open to them keeping the gang together under some conditions. So, I mean, few things inspire camaraderie and satisfaction like winning, especially when that winning is nested within a narrative built on overcoming adversity. Um, you know, we've talked about Russ's obsession with his own legacy. If the Seahawks can rally to make the playoffs, something that has and will continue to require a bit of luck along the way, I'm comfortable with them running it back in 2022. I say that with the caveat of my desire that the organization, i.e. Jody Allen, chooses to push all of her chips into Russ's basket rather than Pete's if push comes to shove. Not a hot take. It's pretty logical and widespread understanding of that. Um, but if the team can manage to build and grow and Seahawk their dumbasses into the playoffs, I'm okay holding off on a coaching change for a couple of reasons. Talk to me. One, this scenario only comes to fruition if that defensive transformation is legitimate. You know, we've seen them adapt before, but it needs to stick this time, you know? No matter how annoying it is, Pete Carroll wants to approach game management from the position of someone who has confidence in his defense. And if their performance over the past several weeks is sustainable, then that's fine. I mean, you still want to play like you have that Hall of Fame quarterback, but it's more palatable for sure. If it isn't, then it's kind of a so what would you say it is that you do here yeah. sort of situation? You know, yes. like if Pete Carroll can't coach up a defense, I think that's the nail in the coffin. If he can and he allows Seattle's offense to continue growing within the framework of Shane Waldron's vision, I think it's worth preventing the organizational uh, instability that comes with a full-fledged regime change. This hypothetical also implies that Ken Norton Jr. isn't nearly the jackass that the fan base has and continues to make him out to be. So I guess we'll find out on that. But the second reason I'm cool with riding this train a little longer is because Seattle has more young talent than they've had in a long time, and it would be a shame to squander it. So even with the whiffs on Penny and Collier, etc., I mean, you've got DK Metcalf, Jordan Brooks, Daryl Taylor, Damian Lewis, Trey Brown, Alton Robinson— Eskridge is a question mark, of course, but I think that, I mean, I think that DJ Reed and Jamal Adams deserve to be included in that conversation as well. Certainly. And even, even though he's 28, Quandre Diggs is in his bag right now. He's playing like one of the best safeties in the league. So this is a talented football team. This is a talented defense with the capacity to succeed. Their draft resources are depleted, but the personnel currently on the roster has the capability to find real success. 
I don't necessarily think that they have the chops to get into the playoffs as a seven seed and then win every game on the road on their way to a Super Bowl. But if you're not willing to watch prime Russell Wilson give that a shot, then I would venture the statement that you're probably taking sports fandom a bit too seriously. And you just know that them doing anything remotely sea hockey on that course will send uh, will send tremors of oh, Jesus Christ. They're doing it again throughout the league, and I live for that shit, man. Totally, and I I think those are really valid points. A couple of things, you know, we have been generally dissatisfied with just making the playoffs and losing. Right now, that seems like a huge win for this team. But it's a huge win for this team because they've sucked donkey balls for two months. Like they're they put themselves in this position. This isn't sure. if they go if they get to nine and eight and get in as the seventh seed, this isn't them overachieving. They're not a plucky bunch of underdogs. It's that they put themselves in a really bad spot early on with through their own doing. I mean, some of it okay, yeah. Russ got hurt. Blame a couple losses on that if you want, but that's projecting a little bit because they looked really bad in four of the first five games. Honestly, three of the first five games for sure. And so it's it's something where, okay, so let's say they get into the playoffs and then they lose in the first round because they're probably going to be playing at the Rams uh, or at the Packers. And it's like, okay, so here we are again. Another season, another early playoff loss. We're stuck in fucking limbo again. And, and I look, I mean, I'm fine with running it back with Pete again after the season, if it means Russ is sticking around and signing a contract extension here. I just, I don't know what it is about this season, outside looking in, of course, that makes Russ say, yep, this is it. Because he's watching Tom Brady go to another team and say, hey, this is the type of coaching I want. This is the type of weather I want. And also I want all these players. And the team's like, yeah, okay, yep, you got it. Whatever you want. And then Matt Stafford is like, all right, I'm going to this bitchin' city. I've got a fun coach. They're putting all these weapons around me. Here comes Odell. They're beefing up the defense. Like, you'd know Russ wants that. So for me, it just comes down to what's going to get Russ to stay. Everything else serves that. Um, and, and it's getting harder and harder for me to see what it is about Pete Carroll that keeps me, okay, great. The defense keeps playing pretty good, but does that keep Russ around? There's lots of other pretty good defenses that are going to let Russ spread his wings a little bit more. At the end of this season, we're, we're going to depend on our old friend, the eye test, baby. Yeah. Um, I mean, if the team falls well short of our re- expectations, revised expectations, whatever you want to call it, and they do somehow make the playoffs and, it's the same old shit as we've seen over the better part of a decade now, then rip the bandaid off, man. Like do anything you have to do to get Russ to stay because this roster can win with the right leadership and the right circumstances. Uh, just, just know that you're probably not prying Lincoln Riley away from Oklahoma and his, his shiny new quarterback for the next, next two plus seasons. I know. I know. And that's, that's the thing, right? Is like, there is wherever you rank, Pete Carroll among coaches, there is a better chance that the next guy who comes in isn't as good than there is that the next guy will be better. It's just, are I think the crux of this comes down to, are you okay with how this has been going? Are you okay with winning 10 to 12 games a year and then not really being a contender for the Super Bowl or 
now that you know what winning a Super Bowl looks like and going to Super Bowls looks like, do you need more? Because at this point, I don't think Pete Carroll gets you back to a Super Bowl. I do think Pete Carroll is going to establish a floor of, with a healthy Russell Wilson, you're going to win 10 games every year. That is way more fun than losing 10 games every year. No question. But are you willing to gamble that the next guy, lower floor, higher ceiling, ultimately what it comes down to? I think right now we have an extremely high floor and a somewhat limited ceiling. Yeah, I I think that if things end similarly to how they have for the past several seasons in bitter disappointment and this underlying feeling of, man, they definitely could have done more then yeah, you got to move on, right? You got to roll that. You got to roll those dice because Russ isn't going to put up with that. He's made it abundantly clear that the, the status quo of this team over the last few years is not all that. What I will say is this is a team for a long time that has shown an aptitude for the very difficult skill of finding their way into the postseason. Mm-hmm. But since 2015, 2016, they haven't capitalized on those opportunities and whether it's diminished talent from the roster of hall of famer after hall of famer, uh, whether it's uh, the league catching up. I love the way that you describe the NFL as the world's fastest learning organism. It really is. And the team just has not done enough and they have fielded competitive rosters. um, Be they not over the top elite like they once were, but you have to you have to prepare like you're going to be in the postseason and set yourself up for success in those situations. Yep. And they haven't done yep. that. So if they continue to lack in that regard, then yes, you gotta you gotta try something new. Yeah. Well, I think Sunday will be telling. You know, I'm I'm really curious to see what this conversation looks like a week from now, um, because I do think it's going to give us a little bit of clarity on on the direction. I mean, I think there's a lot to be said about withholding judgment a little bit through the first half of the season. And we're through that now. We're nine weeks into an 18-week season. Judge away. Now, exactly, exactly. It's Everybody's had a chance to sort themselves out. Now we see what we got. And if they look outclassed, I'm, I'm ready to start making contingency plans because the dominoes of Russell Wilson leaving get really ugly. You know, I don't know what keeps DK Metcalf around. Optics if, are important at this point. Abs- absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there is it it can get bad really quick if Russ leaves. And and what I was saying earlier about okay, yeah, there's a better chance that the next coach is worse than Pete Carroll than there is that he's better. Well, there is an almost guarantee that the next quarterback that Seattle brings in is going to be worse than Russell Wilson. The chances that the next quarterback that Seattle gets being better than Russell Wilson is almost zero. They'll be cheaper for sure. And if you perfectly reallocate the money that you save, maybe, maybe you be as good, maybe even a little bit better. But so many things have to go right with the money that you save in order for that to happen. You can replace Pete Carroll or improve upon Pete Carroll so much easier than you can do that with Russell Wilson. So very, very interested to see how this week goes. Uh, I know you and I got to get out of here, but it's it's going to be a very fascinating weekend. And of course, to see what the rest of the NFC does. Yeah, it's <laughs> that's the other that's the other caveat to this, right? Like if Seattle 
goes through the rest of this regular season in disappointing fashion and still manages to make the playoffs, then you're just sitting in that purgatory of exactly first round loss draft position is bad. Don't have a first round pick anyways, which I guess maybe, maybe not that much of a problem because this draft isn't shaping up to be nearly as strong as others, but draft capital is important. Um, and (laughs) the team needs to build for the future, especially if you're going to continue building around your quarterback who will hopefully be staying in town. Totally. Your, your floor with Russell Wilson is still, you know, it's, we were talking about Pete Carroll's floor. That's that's Russell Wilson's floor, too. I just think his ceiling is higher than what we've seen in the last four or five years as far as what a team can do built around him. But as much as we could keep doing this for the rest of the night, I do think it's time to wrap it up for the week. Uh, guys, again, thank you, everybody, for listening to the show. Uh, I know Mike and I really enjoy doing this. We've loved the feedback that you've gotten want to thank you for listening for reading the articles and for just giving us the encouragement and and the ratings you know mike do you know we have over 55 star ratings already less than two months of doing this thing that's incredible yeah these uh these people clearly clearly have been coerced somehow right? <laughs> yeah my my threats have been making it through their spam filters so that's good they see all but, the cigars and assume you're an arsonist <laughs> right totally totally might be after this weekend we'll see uh but uh if you guys want to keep the conversation going the best way to do that is find us on twitter uh i am there at at jackson bevins and remember that's jackson with no k that's j-a-c-s-o-n mike is that at mike barwin and uh you guys should really be following him if you're not already uh, he's uh he just comes at everything kind of sideways, which I really, really appreciate. And has definitely made me a better sports fan as well. The show itself is at Cigar Thoughts. And you can also find us on Instagram at Cigar Thoughts NFL and on Facebook at Seattle Cigar Thoughts. And of course, you can listen to this show and read every article at fieldgoals.com slash Cigar Thoughts. Also, we are now doing audio reads of the article every night after they post. So you will be able to listen to it Uh, on your way to work or while you're at the gym or wherever you are when you normally listen to your podcast that way you don't necessarily have to pop open the laptop and read it we're also going to be coming to you live at halftime of the Packers game on Sunday just make sure you are following Cigar Thoughts on Twitter you'll see the live come up that'll be a live video with me you'll be able to ask questions get my opinions on how the first half went what we need to see in the second half, etc. So you can be a part of the conversation there. Um, and again, if you like the show, please leave us a five-star review on the podcast platform of your choice. That really does help build the type of momentum that we are looking to have as the show continues to grow and evolve. So that'll do it for today. Mike, appreciate you as always, man. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. I'd just like to say, you know, producer Mike, here to produce. Bi-week co-host Mike, here to produce takes (laughs) and you did it man you did it all right guys we'll be back next week in the meantime onwards and upwards we'll see you then